your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. Welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM, Anthony Tregoski edition. UW Lacrosse political science professor in studio with me. Happy Friday, Rick. Yeah, Friday, the coldest day in the. No, it's, eh, it's pretty cold. Uh, pretty darn cold. Chatting up the weather with the guy at the bank earlier today. Yeah, the weather. It's like, oh, it's, like how many times do you go to the weather <laughs> as a banker, you know, or someone that's. That literally just there. happened to me on my way to the parking ramp at UWL. Like, I ran into someone that I kind of knew. Yeah. And, oh, pretty cold out, huh? How about that weather? Yeah. Um, breaking, breaking news this week. The biggest story of the week, I think Colby Cheese is the state cheese. Well, wasn't or, that under discussion? We're still debating that. Still we debating it. Haven't made it. It's it's got to consider all sides of the issue. Got to consider all of the factors involved. We've got a, a, deep, a deep debate in the Wisconsin State Legislature on whether or not to really just go all in on Colby cheese. I feel like that's, you know, well, eighteen-year-olds being able to conceal carry, ah, pass it. Uh, making fourteen and fifteen-year-olds work later in the summer, work later into the night, ah, pass that. Colby cheese, whoa, whoa, whoa. This Slow is, down. This is, we've got to maybe, you know, get some outside, maybe like the City of the Cross does, right? Get some consultation, hire some people. Sure. Uh, a committee, have a committee hearing. I guess maybe they did the Colby Cheese. What was that committee hearing, right? Did they bring in cheddar? Did they bring in Swiss? I don't know. I'm they got to bring in representatives from all of the cheeses. Yeah. like, And then do you bring some obscure Wisconsin cheeses? I don't know if Wisconsin has any obscure cheeses. I feel like they're just the basic cheese. I've got to hear all sides. Yeah, so we just, and then you put them, what, nice little spread in the committee hearing? Yep. And then everyone tries the cheeses? What do we, do we, do we get some sausage and crackers, too, with the Is cheese? this determined through a taste test, is the question. Yeah, I just, I mean, I feel like it's good that they didn't, they didn't, uh, you know, punch the ticket on Colby, because probably need to have public hearings. We need to have a deliberative process here when it comes to these types of issues. Like we should, like the, they did with the state budget, I believe. Did they go all around the state to yep. get public input on the, the state budget? Maybe we can do that. Have a tour around the state with different hearings and different task forces and uh, community sessions. Yeah, hit one, you know, committee meeting or a, a public hearing in Green Bay. Maybe up north somewhere, Minocqua somewhere. Yeah. Um, over in Eau Claire. We probably got to get way up north somehow. I don't know. I can't name any towns in Wisconsin that are way, way up north. Um, but Milwaukee, you got to have a hearing there, have a hearing in La Crosse. Who pays for the, all the cheeses that we're going to taste test, though? Is that taxpayer money spent? Well, I, I wonder. I mean, is it the cheese lobby, big cheese, that's funding this effort? Or big Colby that's funding this are effort? Are we taking donations from big colby the colby cheese owns the wisconsin state legislature <laughs> yeah that might be i mean we need to see follow the money right follow the money on big cheese on colby cheese because why just colby i feel like there should be other stories about different cheeses it's the tavern league big business and big colby that owns the legislature i mean colby isn't even in any of the i mean where do you get colby cheese like if you're at Culver's, you're not getting Colby cheese on your cheeseburger. And I like Colby cheese, but I don't go out of my way to get it. I think I love Colby cheese, to be honest. I think I, when my mom comes to visit, I make her bring like a chunk of Colby cheese from okay. wherever. And I think it's Colby cheese. I'm going to get a text from my mom. I know it. Um, but I, but when you go somewhere, like at a restaurant, Colby's never on the, the, the menu. 
like you get cheddar or I don't right. even I couldn't even tell you anything beyond ch- American is always on there. Here, Rick, we need to test your idea. I want to see if someone will text in who passionately likes Colby cheese. Beyond me. Beyond you. Beyond me. This is this is playing in on how you like what almonds in your brownies. I like nuts in my brownies, and I also like oatmeal raisin cookies. At least I like them equally to chocolate chip cookies. It's unbelievable. I. Hey, there were people last week who texted in to back me up on this. No, there's nobody that backed you up on the idea that chocolate chip cookies and oatmeal raisin are on the same level. That's that's okay. We need someone to text in about that too. Who's (laughs) who's funding your campaign for oatmeal raisin? (laughs) Big oatmeal, big raisin. I don't know which one is it. Which one is it? Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. We kind of buried the lead. The the lieutenant governor. Oh yeah, Mandela Barnes is coming on. Eh, Mandela, whatever. He's going to (laughs) join. Um, yeah, so we got anyone got questions for the lieutenant governor who's probably going to be more, I don't know, like I have more lieutenant governor questions for him than I do Senate candidate questions. Yeah, it's like, you what do I mean? you do as a lieutenant governor? Yeah, well, that and, be, but the state legislature's been busy this week. They've been, you know, that one year they went eight months without doing anything, and now we're passing Colby Cheese without even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, they've been on a tear. They've been on a tear. We've, you know, and we make a joke about the Colby Cheese thing, but the concealed carry. Allowing eighteen-year-olds to conceal carry, I'm I'm not like all opposed to that, but are, are we are we along with that? Like teaching some gun responsibility, like hey, if you want to conceal carry, I know you have to take a conceal carry class, but I feel like you probably need to take some other gun training because the the argument always is, well, if I can join the military as an eighteen-year-old, I should be able to carry a gun, and it's like, well, you can carry a gun. It's the concealed carry part, but all of it. We probably just need all kinds of crazy training for guns. You have to consider the unintended consequences and the unanticipated consequences when you're making law. That's why the deliberative process is so important to have committees, to have debates. And I don't know what the process was for this bill, but I just hope that the legislature has considered all of the consequences involved, just as they hopefully have considered all the consequences involved with lowering the working age in the summer. That was the other thing that got passed this uh, this week. And, uh, you know, there's definitely some activity in the state legislature, some things that weren't necessarily all that controversial. Hey, it shows that we can actually get some stuff done in the state legislature when we want to. Yeah, lowering the the age that we're, you know what, we need nine-year-olds to be able to work <laughs> well into the night because, uh, you know, 725 an hour. We'll just pay all the nine-year-olds and then nobody that, ha- that can afford a job, uh, you know, that can that needs to actually have a job that pays a living wage will we'll get hired. Uh, Mandela, are you there? I'm here. Hey, man. <laughs> I just, I, I, we'll just bring you in a cold, a cold open here for you. Welcome. Welcome to lacrosse talk <laughs> PM. Uh, I'm Rick Tregoski, Anthony Tregoski. Say hi, Anthony. So he knows who's Hey, who. Mandela. <laughs> hey, how's it going? The, the, the ceremonious introduction. So, yeah. We were so excited. We were debating on whether we wanted to talk to Lieutenant Governor Mandela or if we wanted to talk to Senate candidate Mandela, and we were just kind of going off on how big Colby Cheese has uh, infiltrated the state legislature, um, and we haven't given any of the other cheeses a fair shot of being the state cheese. Is is big Colby peddling influence in the legislature, Mandela? Look, I mean, Colby has a rightful place because that is our cheese. That's ours. You know, I, I got, I've got i been able to travel to Kobe, so I've, I'm, I'm very much in support and very much in favor. This is our thing. We should own it. Sounds like 
Big Colby has infiltrated the <laughs> lieutenant governor's office. If there was ever an industry, if there was ever an industry to, to, to corrupt me, it would be Big Colby. The dark money flowing into the governor, <laughs> lieutenant governor's office for Colby Cheese. That's Mandela Barnes. He's going to join us. We're going to take a quick break. Brad's got to do the news, and then we'll we'll get into some more of uh, maybe we'll we'll move on from from the cheese talk. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914. Anyone's got questions? We got Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes on the phone with us. Are you calling you calling from Madison? Are you uh, headed to the Cole Center tonight, Mandela? We got a Johnny Davis lacrosse native here. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. I, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. I'm in I'm in Madison at the moment, so I'll be uh I'll be at the game a little bit later. Nice. I uh, I'm every time he plays, I I try not to uh you you do the whole show talking about Johnny Davis, but I mean, when he's getting College Player of the Year, when he's the favorite to win the Naismith Trophy, that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I, I'm. You know, we need it. We need it. What kind of seats? And does, I'm, I'm happy for him. What kind of seats does the Lieutenant Governor get? Are you uh, are you getting good seats? The most regular seats. This is my first game this season. Actually, actually, this is my first game since I've been Lieutenant Governor, which is kind of wild to believe. But now, nah, man. Uh, modest, modest seating. Modest seating. You're jumping on the bandwagons. What's happening? They're top ten now, so you got to go to a game. Ha! Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! That's a. I didn't know this was going to be that kind of interview. <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought it was a friendly crowd. <laughs> um, all right. So we wanted to get into uh, a little bit of the, your uh, your run for Senate. You're trying to you you got to beat what ten? Shirgasi is it ten other Democratic? Might be twenty by now. It might be twenty. It by- is. So how do you? It is se- a small. It is a small army. Yeah. How do you set yourself apart from the rest of the field? I mean, do you do you take uh, do you take one stance that nobody else has, or do you just kind of? I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, I'll say you know I got a lot of friends who are running this primary, and everybody's going around sharing their vision, but I'm focused on sharing my plan to extend opportunities to rebuild this middle class, to uplift the working families that Ron Johnson left behind, also running on my experience and track record. You know, unfortunately, a person like Ron Johnson has left people behind while at the same time making himself richer and his corporate donors in Washington. Uh, but this campaign uh, is not going to be focused on how bad Ron Johnson is. This campaign is going to be about our values, our vision, and how we move this country forward. Wisconsin has always been at the forefront of change, and this is about bringing us back to our rightful place. You know, as lieutenant governor, I've traveled extensively. I'm the only person to have traveled to every county before this campaign started. And we've been able to bring in people from all corners of this state and all industries to talk about the big challenges we're facing, especially recovery from the pandemic, especially addressing climate change, uh, which has already had a devastating impact on our communities, especially our farmers and tourism industry. What uh, what what are, what are some like specific things you think you can do to to kind of bring you know people at the bottom, the lower class, middle class people up? Well, I'm not sure if you've been on social media looking at those uh, 10-year challenges and the ones that show the minimum wage federally, 725 back then, 725 today. Uh, there is gross inequality in this country right now. Over the course of this pandemic, billionaire wealth has increased like an additional $2 trillion. And 6 to 7 million people in this country found themselves in poverty for the first time. Now, this could be extension of the child tax credit, which would go a long way to alleviate child poverty in this country, obviously increasing the minimum wage. Uh, these are just the simple steps we can take 
to address income inequality in this country. And also, we have to tax the rich. We have to make sure people are paying their fair share. Mandela, one reputation that you have is someone who is a progressive. Uh, some would say that you're kind of on the left wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, one of the commenters to our show today referenced you as a Sanders and Warren protege. And I'm just wondering how you your pitch to voters, given maybe your ideology, given maybe your policy stances, you know, it's, in Western Wisconsin, we have a lot of voters who have drifted away from the Democratic Party over the years. And I'm wondering what your pitch is going to be to voters like that, should you win the party nomination. Voters who maybe would consider voting for the Democratic Party. Maybe they voted for Trump in the past. Maybe they voted for Ron Johnson in the past. I, I'm wondering what your pitch is going to be to sort of those middle-of-the-road voters who are persuadable but might be a little bit hard to get for Democrats? Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, my ideas, my policies, the things I talk about have been informed by the conversations that I've had with people all across this state. You know, I, yeah, I'm fine. I've identified me as a progressive. Perfect. That's great. I mean, that means my focus has been on delivering for the people of Wisconsin. I'll tell you, the majority of uh, people in this state, in this country, do not feel like they are better off than they were a couple years ago. That's the problem. And it's going to take bold ideas, bold solutions uh, for us to help alleviate some of that stress that people are dealing with to improve the quality of life of people. What we're fighting for is inclusive. You know, this isn't specifically moderate or progressive policy, left or right. To be quite honest with you, the more conversations we have with people, uh, they feel the same exact way. It's not left or right, it's top and bottom. And voters know what my lived experiences are because many times it's often there. My dad was an auto worker. My mother was a public school teacher. They were both proud union members, and they provided opportunities for me that allow me to be able to even have this conversation with you today as the lieutenant governor, as a candidate for the United States Senate. And at the end of the day, voters want someone who's going to look out for them, someone who's in their corner, someone who's walked in their shoes, someone who will come to the table with their best interests in mind. People are feeling left behind because they have been left behind, especially by people like Ron Johnson. Mandela, we talked uh, on a podcast just a couple days ago with Alex Lazary, me and uh, the Democratic Party chair here. I didn't get this to I didn't get this question to him, but I think I'll have him on the show down the road. Uh, but you talk about things to do, things that you'd like to do that are bold. What about a CEO salary cap? We do this in the NBA. We have salary caps for players. Uh, you know, if you want to like, you know, even the gap, CEO salary cap. What do you think? <laughs> I was actually just listening to a podcast about how, 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 how wild CEO pay is compared to average worker salary. That's an issue. That's how, that's how inequality is allowed to balloon in this country. I mean, think about inflation as an example. The average worker is not seeing their salary go up. But at the same time, the cost of living is increasing. Uh, however, CEO pay is the only thing that seems to be keeping up with inflation. That is a real problem in this country. I think it's a conversation worth having. I, yeah, I would say the CEO pay probably going a little faster than inflation, maybe. <laughs> and maybe causing yeah, inflation a little bit. I mean, the idea that corporations are making record profits right now uh, beyond anything they ever have done in the past, and then they go and cry that they got to pay workers, you know, a, an extra couple bucks an hour, so they got to raise prices. Like, well, aren't you making record profits? How does this work? Hey, I was going to say, too, it's funny when you think about, no, it's not funny at all, but when you look at a company like Apple, right, the, the, their valuation 
you know, the first company to hit, what, what was it, $3 trillion, whatever the number was. Yep. And you can't even get a new iPhone with a, with a headset anymore. <laughs> or or a charger. I don't think they're sending chargers that go into the wall anymore. They just send it's, you the cord. Oh, they're always changing. That's the thing. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is the, the optics of the, the U.S. Senate right now don't seem great. Democrats supposedly control all three branches of government, right? Not branches, but... The, the the Senate, the Congress, and the presidency, the Supreme Court, not not a branch, but they don't control that for sure. Um, but the optics don't seem very good. And and Mitch McConnell, I'm sure you you heard this one. Mitch McConnell said the other day uh, about you know voting rights, the voting rights bill that got you know just axed the other day, and uh, the the idea that you know there are people that aren't able to vote as well as other people. But Mitch McConnell, and speaking of black people. He said the concern is misplaced because if you look at the statistics, African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans. Um, what what, do you, what is your reaction right, right off the bat when you hear something ridiculous as that? Like, that's the thing. It's so ridiculous, but it's so hard to be surprised. It's so hard to be shocked. Like, my Angelou said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And this is clearly not the first time Mitch McConnell has said something ridiculous or bigoted, or discriminatory. You know, these are obviously appalling remarks, but they are also a very clear indication of his priorities and where they stand as a party. You know, this is continuing to perpetuate the division in America. This is uh, a leader in the United States Senate who still classifies different groups of people in America as, uh, I guess you would call, quote-unquote, real Americans and other Americans. And this comes from a person who's voted against democracy, someone who's worked hand-in-hand with Ron Johnson to undermine the right to vote. As you mentioned, how voting rights legislation has been stalled in the Senate. This comes from the same person who's worked hand-in-hand with people like Ron Johnson to take away affordable health care from people in this state and this country. And I'm tired of it, frustrated with it. People like Mitch McConnell, people like Ron Johnson continue to try to divide at every attempt. It's like what Ron Johnson said. He wouldn't have been afraid, or he wasn't uh, afraid of, of the people on January 6th, but if it were Black Lives Matter protesters, he may have been a little worried. You know, this is this is who they are. This is emblematic of them as a party and the way they want to go about uh, running this country if given the opportunity to do so again. Uh, but this is exactly why I'm running for the U.S. Senate, because people like Mitch McConnell, people like Ron Johnson, want to use divisive tactics to stall progress. We've got Lieutenant Governor and U.S. Senate candidate Mandela Barnes on the line. And and Mandela, it's no secret that the Democrats have really struggled in rural areas. That has been the case in Wisconsin. That has been the case all around the country. And I'm wondering what your diagnosis is of that, why rural areas seem to be slipping away from the Democrats. And, and do you think you can reverse that in this campaign? Yeah, uh, my thing is, you can't take any part of the state for granted. You know, in 2016, people assumed Milwaukee was going to show up. Voter turnout was down in Milwaukee. And if you want people to show up, now this is a question we had to answer in 2018. People said, how do we get more, how do we get younger voters to show up? How do we get voters in communities of color to show up? And my answer was, we show up and we talk to them. It's that simple. Have the conversations with people. In some rural parts of the state, we may never win back, but if we're able to show up, leading with our values, leading with our vision, making the direct connection with people about those bread-and-butter issues, those kitchen table issues, if we can take a 60-40 margin to 55-45, then we're well on our way 
uh, to to where we need to be as a party. But it takes uh, it takes some real intentionality uh, for that to happen. You know, we can't just assume that these areas won't vote for us, and we can't just also uh, show up acting like we know everything because that's not the case at all, and that's the quickest way to lose a vote. All right, we got Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, Senate candidate. I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks a lot. Have fun at the game. Of course, man. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. All right, bye. All right, we got to take a break. Scott's comment coming up. Brad's doing the news, and then we'll react to what Mandela had to say. You gonna sing along here? Do, do, do. Oh, you do, 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 do. not even trying. <laughs> do they got do? You gotta do it up here. Do, do, do. <laughs> do you know the words though? Of course, I'm a '90s kid. <laughs> Welcome to the back to the Crosstalk PM 608-785-7914. Why do I do that? 608-785-7914. Just do it so fast. Uh, that's the talk of text line if you want to get in here. UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Tregoskian with me. We just talked to Lieutenant Governor and Senate candidate Mandela Barnes. Uh, what did you think? Uh, well, no doubt that he's the front runner for the Democratic nomination. When we asked him what separates him from the field, he did not really bite on that. He did not really talk about the other candidates in the race. And I think that's because he's the front runner. He's winning. Yeah. He's winning by a long shot. And what I'm wondering is if the others in the field, you mentioned as Alex Lazary, Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer, will they start to take the gloves off and actually go after Mandela to see if they can damage his chances of becoming the nominee? There hasn't really been a lot of attacks exchanged among the Democrats. So... I think Mandela is very comfortable where he's at in this race, and he's focused on Ron Johnson and trying to develop a line of attack against Johnson, as we saw in that interview. Did you listen to the show yesterday? Did you hear Mark Newman? Yeah. Mark Newman came on. He announced he's running yesterday for Congress to take uh, Ron, the retiring Ron seat. Retiring Ron, that. <laughs> yeah. retiring Ron seat uh, in the third congressional district. And and Mark Mark essentially said, "There's nobody progressive enough running in this campaign, and therefore I needed to get <laughs> you rolling your eyes." Now, you're not you're not into that. That's not that's not a winning stance here in the third congressional, right? No, it's not uh, because this is a Republican leaning district. It will likely be a Republican-leaning district after redistricting is complete. I I totally understand the the desire to have a variety of voices in the party nomination process. I get that. But for the Democrats to win this seat, I do think it will take someone in the middle of the road and someone who has the financial resources, the campaign resources to take on Derek Van Orden, who we know was a very effective campaigner in 2020, has raised a lot of money, has the party unified behind him. So I, I think Mark Newman has every right to run for office. He has every right to advance his ide- ideology. But the question for the Democrats is what will it take to win this general election versus a very strong candidate in Derek Van Orden? But when you when you say you got to be you got to talk more down the middle of the road, I mean, that, that you're kind of saying like you can't talk about climate change because you know right you know middle of the road, but climate change is a thing, and Congress is the place to begin having uh, the ability to affect right or to reduce climate change. So it's a weird place to be where 
oh, if I want to win this election, I better not talk about climate change because those right-ish moderate voters aren't going to vote for me. I think the conventional wisdom right now is that the Democrats want to talk about economic issues, but they're frustrated that this talk about economics and here's what we're going to do on child care and here's what we're going to do on climate change. It's not really breaking through in in some rural areas, in some middle-of-the-road areas, because cultural issues, social issues, that focus from Republicans is really gaining a lot of traction. Critical race theory, there was a bill currently going through the state assembly on transgender, uh, gender confirmation surgery for transgender individuals, things like masks and things like COVID mandates, those issues that really fire people up. And the Democrats seem to be having a hard time responding to those issues, getting their economic message to break through. It's kind of a funny place to be. We can't talk about child care. I feel like a lot of people have children. And we can't talk about, um, well, we're talking about education, but in a different way than Republicans are talking about education. Um, And then we're just fighting over masks. So the, the idea there that there is a virus and it's, you know, spreading like crazy. I got an interesting tweet yesterday from someone who uh, is a marketing director for a factory in Wisconsin. Not Dan Bongino. Uh, Not Bongino. Uh, This person says that they pay over $20 an hour starting wage, but the people they want to hire cannot find childcare. So they have people who want to work for them. They're paying a competitive wage, but The people who would want to work for them can't find childcare, so they are unable to hire people. I mean, Rick, what has frustrated me so much is that we have not had a concerted bipartisan effort to deal with childcare. That is a huge disappointment in my book. Yeah, it's it's probably should be the number one issue. It really and, should be. And Mark Newman comes on yesterday and says, you know, I want a single payer health care system. He brings health care to the table. Nobody's talking about health care. That's what won in 2018 or yeah, 2018. Yep. It, that and Donald Trump took over office in 2016 and everything always flips when, it, it, two years later. So but I feel like everyone has to deal with their health and health care. And everyone hates their insurance company for the most part. Number three is calling in. I just want to get him in before he, he waits. You know, he's going to hang up on me if I make him wait any longer. Number three, go ahead. You're on. Is this the Cooler Region cooking show? <laughs> you're a day late. You're a day late. Day late and a dollar short. I heard you two clowns talking about chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Uh, Tregoski thinks chocolate chip and oatmeal are on the same level. Well, it depends upon what he's got them laced with. <laughs> No Gotta comment. Watch that little guy, his picture was on the front page of the Tribune the other day, just so it don't end up down at the post office. <laughs> all right, is that all? Are you just going to throw grenades at Tregoski? Is that no, what you're no, doing? no, I want to get to some business right now. I've been trying to get a hold of you two clowns for three weeks. <clears throat> I was wondering if anybody's mad at the uh, stop and go lights down at West Avenue and Jackson Street. Okay, well, uh, if you're going down Jackson Street heading west, in other words, towards Minnesota, Rick, you come to uh, West Avenue uh, to put new stop-and-go lights in there. They then put an arrow for the people to turn left onto West Avenue. Cars are lined up for two blocks. I was wondering if anybody else got mad besides me. I'm not doing... I'm not... Uh... 
I guess I'm not going that route. Um, nice roundabout would have been good there, I think. Yeah, well, they were talking about one there one time, but it's a state project, state highway, but between the state and the city uh, engineering department, they should have put a left turn arrow in there for people. Yeah. They got I, one going north, to, to, uh, narrow, but they on the going north up uh, West Avenue, but they don't have one going south. It's I don't know. All right. Well, well, uh, let's. Uh, I want you two guys to take a ride down there Monday, next Monday, and see what you think of it, and let me know. Maybe I'm the only one that's mad. All right. Sounds good. We'll do that. A rush hour. We'll go over there. Um, and no left turn arrow. You know what I do not like is red left turn arrows. Like you cannot turn on red on a. Oh yeah. After the like, I am a, I'm pretty good at driving and being able to tell if I can turn left or not. Like I can figure it out. You don't have to tell me I can't turn left. Well, they've waived a lot of the drivers' test requirements with COVID, so you never know what the new drivers will be up to. They waived drivers' tests with COVID. They've waived uh, the school bus lowering drivers. school bus and truck driver truck drivers that are 18 now can or you can if you could be 18 you can conceal carry and drive a truck. Uh, I think Greg's calling in. Greg, go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, regarding the lieutenant governor, uh, you know, he he, they keep bringing up this minimum wage, and I would I would have liked to ask him, name one business that's still only paying the minimum wage. I I know a bunch of them, but I'm not going to name them because it's just I, mean, I don't want to call out businesses. But yeah, there's it's it's happening, definitely happened. Well, I I really find it hard to believe anybody's working for him. Because Wisdom's been been advertising even dishwashers at the freight house for ten dollars an hour. You drive around town, you see business fast food places that are advertising fifteen dollars an hour starting wage. You know places aren't paying minimum wage anymore. Yeah, I hear you. Thanks, thanks for the call. I'm I. Uh, what's your take on minimum wage? Well, I think there's something to that. Because the labor market is so squeezed that employers have to try to outbid each other for workers. And these measures that we've been talking about are simply half measures, band-aids, half-baked solutions that may have some effect. Allowing 14-year-olds to work till 11 at night in the summer? Look, it'll have some effect, but is it a solution? Is it a grand plan to fix the labor shortage? Absolutely not. The plan to solve the labor shortage is getting more workers through talent attraction, through bringing in more workers into Wisconsin, and childcare. That's a huge barrier for people working. So, look, I'm fine with these little small half measures as long as we don't pretend that these actions taken by the state legislature are going to cure our problems. But, I mean, with regards to the minimum wage, no, I, I think Greg is right that people, work, employers that are paying the minimum wage are going to have issues finding workers because there are not a lot of workers sitting on the sidelines who could be working. You know, there's this myth out there that there's all these people not working, being lazy, gaming the system, refusing to work. There just aren't a lot of people like that. If people aren't working, it's because they can't find child care. They can't find child care, and they they don't want to wash dishes for $10 an hour. Yeah, and, and they want a reasonable wage. Yeah, $10 an hour to wash dishes, $15 an hour to work at a uh, place where I'm making a sandwich all day. That's, that's 
not a lot. <laughs> like that's that's kind of the worst job. I, and I get it; it's the least skilled job, but it's it's a really that's a tough job. You have this for eight hours a day. You're just gonna make sandwiches, or eight hours a day you're gonna wash dishes. Who's gonna do that for fifteen? That's a that's not a great way. No, I mean I think people are a little discombobulated at this point because we're so used to having maybe an oversupply of labor, like more workers than we need. Now we have way fewer workers than we need. And so wages, different things are happening to wages that we're not used to. We're seeing workers moving around jobs, the great resignation, workers quitting their jobs, workers feeling empowered to to quit their jobs and switch careers and find a new employer. So just things are discombobulated right now. And I think that has led to a lot of just confusion with regards to the labor force. And there's also two different markets here for jobs. There's giant corporations that, you know, are making, like I said earlier, record profits and can really afford to boost the pay of workers, which it makes a, an interesting conundrum, right? Then because you have these smaller businesses, you know, if you or I are owned a business, then they're going to have a hard time attracting workers. But also in my head, I'm like, you're a smaller business. You probably, you or I, if we were running a business, essentially would would be taking on most of the working duties until that business grew a little bit. And if the business is growing a little bit, then you're, that means you're, you're making money, I would assume, right? It's hard for small businesses because they have to compete against the larger businesses that can outbid them on wages. But the larger businesses still do have the childcare problem. Yeah. Like Quick Trip, for example, they can outbid, outcompete their competitors with wages. They can pay more than their competitors can, so they can win that battle. But their workers may not have childcare and may not be able to work the shifts that they want, may not be able to work the hours that they want. So that leaves that problem unsolved. Can anyone tell that Anthony Tregoski has a child on the way? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we got to take one more break. I got a bunch of texts here that I, that I think are interesting, and we'll get to them in a minute. Yo, Chagoski, a minute here. He's, he's gnawing on a carrot cake cookie. Mouth full of carrot cake cookie. <laughs> That's a ridiculous thing. I brought this up yesterday because Gar- Garcia was in here, and I just I brought these. They were in my car. I'm like, oh, my, maybe I'll eat one. Uh, it's a giant two cookies, and in the middle it's frosting. So They're really good. So it's like a sandwich cookie. Yeah. And then the serving size is one half cookie. <laughs> like when, you know, like maybe that shouldn't be a thing. Like, where's the government regulation on uh, ridiculous serving size? Or serving you, sizes, there's yeah. A, I think they change it now, but uh, one of the energy drinks that I was drinking, the serving size was a half a can. A can, like a, a carbonated beverage. Who's Nobody's drinking a half a can. It's like serving size, one half banana, half an apple. Like, give me a break. I know. They, they game the system to make it seem healthier than it is. Um, all right. So we got a couple of texts here. I'm gonna, uh, Like, I got to start at the beginning here. So... Uh, someone said, have a great show. Thanks. Thanks for that, Nathan. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, please stop beating the drum on minimum wage. Virtually no businesses. Okay, we kind of hit that one. Uh, That's a fair point. This guy says, oatmeal, raisin, cookies rule, and Colby is the best. And he says, oatmeal oatmeal is 10 times better than chocolate chip. 10 times. Oh, wow. Now, I'm I'm not even sure I would go that far. However, I appreciate the support on oatmeal, raisin, cookies. 
I don't know. To show that Rick is Rick is off base here. Like oatmeal raisin cookies and chocolate chip cookies are at least equally as good. Colby and cheddar equally as good. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I asked who this texter is, so I can put a name to the text, and then I'm gonna block them. <laughs> uh, somebody texted in uh, if he's ready for Biden's Russia invasion. Um, we we do this a lot, right? We did this with Trump as president, right? When Trump's gonna start a war, or get into a war to uh, side to to sidetrack whatever the terrible news is that's going on in the presidency, right? So this is the the new conspiracy because I think there are rumors that. Russia is going to invade Ukraine, and therefore we would have to be the the police there, I guess. Sure. And there were some statements from Joe Biden on this that caused some questions, raised some eyebrows, whatever cliche you want to use. Uh, but no doubt that presidents face foreign policy crises a lot. And these have a way of derailing a presidency or throwing a presidency off course or creating unexpected scenarios for presidents to face. So, you know, presidents can try to control events the best they can. They can try to control the narrative. Uh, but foreign policy crises have a way of getting, uh, have a way of muddying that up. Another texter says, uh, Rick, you would starve to death if you started your own business. A, probably why I'm not running my own business. B, if I did start my own business, it would be something that I'm passionate about. And I would, I would really, I'm kind of like, is it frugal? Like I'm cheap. So I would be doing all the work because, hey, Rick, you're going to hire this guy for 30000 a year to help you run your business? No, I'm going to do all. I'm just going to work four times as many hours and just do it. Then I would kill myself. So I don't think I could ever run my own business. Um, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. There were a couple others. Um, there was there was some good ones earlier. And I'm just, they're getting lost in the shuffle now because... I get like 10 texts in a row, but uh, hard to push climate change when good food and gas prices are skyrocketing. Um, gas prices went up like 10 cents. I don't know if skyrocketing is the question. Uh, food prices are the, food prices skyrocketing. I mean, there's we talk about this inflation, but we never talk about the relation. I bring this up all the time. The relation that these corporations are making record profits, oil companies being part of that, and then they are not passing that on to the workers. They're complaining that they have to pay their workers $15 an hour, along with still making record profits, and then they blame that on raising prices. But what they're doing is raising prices and then making record profits. Like, how about you bring your record profits down to a fair level or raise your workers' prices by 10, by $10 more dollars an hour? Then then you could complain, but... And I think people are rightfully frustrated about rising prices. I think people are rightfully frustrated about things like energy prices. There's been a lot of talk lately about people's Excel energy bills this month. So, look, people are concerned about that, rightfully so. I think what – and I was reflecting on this, Rick. I think what is so difficult about the price thing and the inflation thing is that people are mad. They want someone to get mad at – And there are lots of people who you could get mad at. It's not necessarily clear who is responsible for rising gas prices or rising prices at the grocery store or rising Excel energy bills. People are angry, but in America today, it's often hard to pinpoint who we should be angry at for these problems. So I get that people are frustrated. They want to take their frustration out on whoever, but... 
sometimes that frustration can be misplaced. Sometimes people can underestimate the complexity of these problems. I mean, there's got to be a million explanations for inflation, rising grocery prices, rising energy prices. Just Joe Biden. Or, or we can just blame Biden or, or let's blame Evers or let's blame corporations or why not Donald Trump, too? Mark had a lot of good texts and I only have a minute here, Trigoski. So but he, he we were talking about voting rights and he, he gave us some ideas, you know, 10 days to vote early uh, voting counts and ends on voting day. I don't know if I agree with that. Voter ID is a thing we could probably do a whole show on and uh, a national voting day. I don't know if we don't have that. Mark, you had a lot of good texts. We didn't get to get to them all because. Um, I was reading the bottom ones. I probably should have started from the top, but I really appreciate uh, those texts. Um, all right. What do you think? That that do it? I think that does it for another week, Rick. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this was an interesting week. We had Mandela Barnes on today. Mark Newman announces for Congress. Uh, uh, and then it was a it was a busy week. The state legislature did a ton of stuff. We've got... Any Friday news dumps real quick? Your phone? Uh, Friday your phone? news dumps. Oh, uh, 10 seconds, 10 seconds. Mike Abelman no longer wants to jail the mayors of Madison and Green Bay. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Thanks, guys.